Hey guys, this is Liz Candace. This is Nikki Collins. What up, guys? It's Essence Carson. Hey, this is Imani Media Stafford. Hey, this is Jordan Canada. This is Asia Wilson. Welcome to the WNBA Nation. WNBA Nation, hello again. So good to have you for the, I guess, postseason episode of the show. Finals are done and dusted. We're getting deep into October time. I don't know that anyone knows what's going to happen, but we're definitely going to talk to you all about it. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm here with Logan Jones. Logan, how are you? I'm doing good. I've had a couple really good sports nights in a row. Uh, so the, I think the WNBA championship is kind of, it's kind of uh, sparked some positive regression from the universe uh, recently that I think we were all due for this year. Yeah. Uh, and I know you, you've had a very polarizing week in sports um, so very good and very bad, but my, uh, my overall Los for me, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. My Los Angeles upbringing has been really, really fun. Just uh, baseball doesn't exist anymore, but basketball definitely does. I guess that's the easiest way to put it. And and you pretty much owe all of your happy sports moments this last week to Sue Bird and Sue Bird alone. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. So that's right. I don't I don't know if any uh, any of you saw or care, but uh, both pre and post game, Russell Wilson sporting the backwards Sue Bird jersey to make sure that the name was front and center and not yeah. the brand. We're hitting this topic right out right out the shoot because I did <laughs> want to bring this up and I'm glad you said this. I think Russ is actually on to something stylistically. Here's the thing, and I don't know if this is a very hot take. I've had a hard time purchasing a WNBA jersey because quite honestly, the front of a WNBA jersey ain't that cool. It's mostly logos. There's no number there's a team logo, but it's mostly ads and it, everything's templatized. So it's hard to put some personality on it. There's something to the idea of wearing it backwards. There's something to being like, I'm here to rep Bree Stewart. And that's why I'm wearing this Jersey. And I'm kind of really down with it. it. It feels, it feels weird until you remember that you can cover the, the collar with, you know, your face mask anyway or you know it's cold soon maybe a nice scarf i'm not really a scarf guy but like you can you can find a way to make it so the collar doesn't look weird and then you just get the name and number which well, is fire- what everyone wants to you know i know listeners are out there right now going you guys are crazy i'm telling you it's not a bad look no nah. <laughs> it's really not and i i was one of those people like in my head i was like maybe i'm just crazy but I think it's look, and honestly, it doesn't look weird at all. It, he, like, for instance, he's wearing a jacket. If you can't see the jersey behind him, like the front of the jersey on his back, it doesn't look weird at all. Like, it, it looks a little weird in the context of I know that it's the back of a jersey, uh, uh. but I think it could be a look that could be the fashion statement. Just, you know, rep the players, just be like, if listen, this, yeah. If this becomes a trend, I think that signals to Mitchell and Ness, hey, People would love to wear jerseys with the team name front and center. That's your kind of your thing, right? Is vintage jerseys. Maybe yeah. you should give the WNBA some some swag, some gear. It would just it's needed so badly because people forget how quick like we do this W history thing. I'm I'm working on some new episodes. We'll we'll, we'll hopefully have those up before long. One thing that hits me as I continue to go down the early history of the league was, man, WNBA teams had some drip. 
like there were some money uniform sets that have no love because it's just every, the, the tempo test thing. Every clip from like super, she won her fourth WNBA championship. Let's look back at 2004 when she won her first WNBA championship. Every clip is like, oh, like, like it's totally from the mid 2000s era, like the font and everything. We haven't, if you want to go back and listen, we have an entire episode where we talk about every iteration of every WNBA uniform for the current teams um, because the offseason happens and we have time on our hands. But man, that Storm uniform is really cool and i we were just talking before this episode uh actually about how like we don't need every jersey we like talking about uniforms we like the design aspects of a lot of uniforms we don't need everyone i would like in addition to my current brie stewart jersey i need a vintage sue bird jersey i I think that's what i need in my collection yeah i think uh obviously the classic storm look is great I think, you know, in a, an original Sparks jersey should be in the Clash Inn. It, f- it feels like you need a Comets jersey. Like that almost feels like required if you're going to have a collection. And then get me a Don Staley Sting jersey. I don't care Sting, what color. Yeah. But I need the, one. The Sting and the Cleveland Rockers are, are high up. High up on Such different look. reasons. But, man, those are money looks, both of them. The one, the one that I'll take is – this this is such an out there take, but I, I know you've said this a couple of times. If Jewel Lloyd ever finds her way to the Sparks, it would be the only reason I would ever get an LA jersey for anything, but I would get like an old school Sparks jersey with Jewel Lloyd's name and number on it. That'd, that'd be, be interesting. Yeah. It, it, that'd be, I'd be interested to feel how you, how you pull that one off, but, and golly, that original Sparks jersey, man. First of all, being the only one that has the tree on it, because that's just the best. I, I like the palm tree that is also kind of a spark. It gives you something that just no other jersey has. It it adds it adds a spark, literally and figuratively. I'm thank you so much for for tuning in, everyone, to uh, to our uni talk episode. But episode. we haven't done one of these in a while. No, um, we obviously have a lot to dive into in terms of. We're now through with the 2020 WNBA season, the Wubble experience, all the goodness. We don't really have a format for the show at this point in terms of what topics we're going to hit and in what order. It just felt like the right time to finally have a season retrospective. This has been possibly the most unique year of basketball full stop we may have ever had. And, you know, the NBA just got through with, with their bubble experience. We're now a week removed from the Wubble experience in Bradenton and everything that went through that. And I thought it made sense to, to really talk about the overarching experience, you know, how you would grade the league, putting this together in terms of safety, entertainment, social justice. You know, there's so much about this whole thing. There's so many stories about it. Um, as a whole, Logan, I guess if you could give a grade to just nuts and bolts, the whole well experience everything that we just witnessed over the last couple of months what are, what are you pulling off i'm i'm giving it a strong a i'm gonna start off boring and giving it a strong a and i'll tell you this this is a take i've given on this episode on the show before but i think we kind of lose sight of how difficult it was for them to pull this off as well yeah. as they did um it took you know it took the nfl and major league baseball approximately two or three weeks of playing their seasons before 
you know, games were being moved, COVID outbreaks were happening amongst teams, people were breaking protocol, like suddenly the fate of, you know, the future of the season was in jeopardy, you know, in the first month. WNBA didn't really even come close to those types of scares. Um, I think they handled the bubble great. Um, they, they branded the, the season well. The orange hoodie was kind of a, a continuous thing throughout. Um, since we were talking uniforms earlier, may as, may as well mention like the success of uh, uh, kind of the league's coverage and branding this year. And overall, I think it felt like, to me, a regular season. There, was, there were definitely some moments where I hated not having fans there. Um, you know, there, there, were some, there were some games and some moments where it really stood out to me how much more memorable it would have been if they were in front of live audiences. Um, but everything down to, you know, the regular season, the postseason, the finals, um, the fact that the WNBA finals had 15% better viewership over last year. Um, we can, we can probably make that a whole topic all on its own, but I don't know if you've noticed, Steve, if, if you're up in viewership this year, you, that's a unicorn. Like you nothing is up in viewership this year. Um, so the expanded coverage has definitely continued to, to pick up hey. fans and, interested parties and i just think it's an a i give them an a the most popular nba team was in and won the nba finals to a drop in viewings yeah like that to me i go the thing that that absolutely should encapsulate this is why there should be a boost in ratings still not and to the point that the league's not that league's not even considering like oh this is a problem because they're like oh it's pandemic so yeah, to see that increase is a big deal. It's just I was gonna hit this take a little later because I thought maybe it's not as vital of a take, but it was probably my biggest. I actually think this is if we were to list the biggest learnings coming out of this experience, if there's anything we're taking with us and should continue, it should be we're now gonna see a reshuffling in schedules because there's gonna be a big adjustment in 2021. Things are starting so late in the year. Yeah. We may see a big difference in when seasons kick off. I think we've proven that running both basketball league league schedule simultaneously works and i think it's healthy for the wnba to consider being on a similar schedule it would be a shorter schedule yes it's a little different because you're so used to playing with a structure where you have the college uh season but i still think you can somewhat make that work i think there's ways to to make that work and ways to work around it we'd have to see but at the same time i think that it was a huge healthy boost uh, it sounds weird but to play basketball when people are expecting basketball yeah i agree i think there's this mental gap in a lot of people's minds and not not the people that are on twitter trolling that are just haters for the sake of being haters but people who legitimately just don't know a lot about the league don't see it on a lot um don't yeah as you said don't expect to watch a lot of basketball in the summer because it's not basketball season i think a lot of those people probably tuned into games this year um, and I, I think it bridges that mental gap like more seamlessly when the WNBA finals game is on and then the NBA finals game is on. And like the, the men's players are talking about Sue Bird and the women's players and the women's players are talking about social justice initiatives and the NBA players are like, hey, us too, like them, we want to talk about those initiatives. And, and there's kind of this back and forth between these two leagues that I think equates them with one another. And I think in the past you had this problem with the WNBA was being equated with summer league, with spring training, baseball, with 
I don't know what else is going on in the summer, but you know, not things have not a lot of importance. Yeah, the off season for the NBA. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just I, I think it equates the two in people's minds, and they start to understand like, oh, both professional basketball leagues. One is men, one is women. They're the same, and it's yeah. I think that alone has helped a lot. How many American football leagues have tried to run football in the spring? At least how three. many of them have succeeded? Yeah. And definitely none. <laughs> and you, yeah, you can't necessarily fully judge the most recent XFL, but the AAF or whatever it was called, like, like the, there were a handful of, you know, that have tried that, but over time people get accustomed to when to expect certain sports. And I think one thing we can pick up on is the conjecture of people that watch WNBA because they don't like the WNBA. They don't want to watch women play sports. I think it's easy to say that that's a lot of crap because I think a lot of it is probably just the fact that, you know, right now basketball is not normally in my acumen this time of year. If you put it when I'm expecting basketball, I'll totally watch it. Why wouldn't I, it, you know, it, it works schedule wise. You can have one thing wrong to the other. I think the, we, I, it, we've talked about it a lot, but I don't think we've talked enough about how effective the orange hoodie campaign was, but I think it also did help having LeBron James walk into a game in the orange hoodie, like that, his, his like fashion walk that basketball players have to do now <laughs> in the orange hoodie, getting to promote the league, like that there were players that like that there was that direct correlation, I think really adds to that idea of, it's different than because there have been players in the past that have done stuff like that. Like Kevin Durant's walked into games wearing a, a Stewie jersey before, right? And that was cool. But it's a little bit extra if he's doing that and he can almost point at the camera and being like, hey, Storm and Lynx are at seven tomorrow, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like it's going on while this is going on. You should get into it. When, I, I think it's a pretty cool thing. In, on top of that, you have a lot of cities that share sports that are playing right now. And when they're playing concurrently, you have Russell Wilson being like, hey, the Storm just won a championship. Like, we're Seattle. We want to win a championship. Like, that's us. We're all on the same team here. And I think when you have yeah. multiple, like, you have two LA teams and you have, unfortunately, you do not have two Seattle basketball teams yet. But, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these cities do have, you know, you had the Vegas Golden Knights and the Vegas Aces playing this summer. And I saw a lot of interplay between their social media accounts and, like, I think you get to be part of the club if you're playing at the same time and, and trying to get fans to come out and support your city. Totally. And I think with the storm too is, is an interesting case because you keep hearing that conjecture of like people saying, Oh, I miss basketball in Seattle and people having to correct that. And I think you almost help that concern when it's happening while they while people can watch, you know, the NBA and then they can see, well, we do have a team here because they're playing as we're talking about basketball, because it's in the middle of the season, I get adds to that potential, especially because they're going to be playing at a mainstay arena. Once the Amazon, whatever it's called, I've just forgot the name of it. It's a fancy name. It's basically, I think Amazon or was it Microsoft. It's like Amazon climate control, climate, save the earth arena. It's something well-intentioned, but it's pretty, it's a, it's a, it's a fancy name. It'll be a cool arena, but you know, it's going to be the home of the, the Kraken and of the storm right now and man seattle just has the strangest collection of team names and i don't mean bad <laughs> i just mean like it's such an interesting collection of names and i'm still mad that seattle's nhl team didn't go with something salmon themed because i think they had it in them and it totally could work that's just me 
I think when we've talked alternate names for teams, by the way, I've brought up Seattle Salmon. If the Storm like had to change their name. The, uh, I, I don't know if you want to know this or not, but one of the finalists uh, that didn't win the Kraken sweepstakes was Sockeyes. And I think the Seattle Sockeyes Damn. is actually like, pretty um, good. Damn. <laughs> and instead of, you no. know, maybe maybe instead of the surf green, maybe you get like a black and salmon colored uniform. I, mean, I don't know what that would look like. I mean, I know... I know that that screams minor league baseball, but damn, that's a good one. <laughs> that is good. I love it. I, come on. Like you have two teams that are basically the Canadians because you have the Canadians and the Canucks. You can do the soccer. Now I'm mad, but it's I fine. do. I do think and this. I'll tie this back into WNBA stuff. I do think Please. that the Seattle games do. do all kind of paint a picture because you've got the storm and you've got the Mariners and you've got the Seahawks and you've got, now you, I guess you got like the underwater version. You had, you had like whatever sea level sky, the storm also in the sky. Now you have like under the sea, like, I don't know. For some reason, I feel like that played a role in the decision, but they could, all, they the could storm, all be in like the same uh, ocean themed movie. The, the storm definitely helped uh, and I think compelled a lot of that increased viewership this year because they're following their storyline throughout the season was, uh, you know, I'm not the first to say it and I'm sure I won't be the last. It's really hard to perform under expectations in this league. Uh, it's really hard to perform when you're supposed to win and do what you're supposed to do when those expectations are championship level and they've won two in three years. Uh, and I think that really helped. I, I don't think the season would have been lessened at all if the Aces would have pulled off a, a, a surprising win. I think it would have been another great story that just went in a different direction. Um, but, you know, we're talking about a potential dynasty now in Seattle, uh, and the Aces are probably the biggest threat to it next year. And a lot of other teams are going to want to load up and make another run, yeah. too. So and you you're know, this, this is such a fun season just for in that regard. A team that's one, two, and a three that could very well argue they could have, could be a 3P team. Yeah. You're looking at a, you know, an injury last year away from potentially because you just look at the difference that with a healthy Bree Stewart and what they made there. I think it's that, you know, to quote uh, Storm super fan Megan Rapino, it's, you know, it was them saying we are in fact those MFers, you know, like <laughs> it's just they knew what they were capable of. They showed up and they performed it to the exact letter. You know what else, and, and I feel like we should mention this while we're somewhat still on the topic of, of the two basketball leagues playing concurrently, is you got a lot of LeBron James, Sue Bird back and forth. And I, I think I think making that equivocation in a lot of people's minds maybe maybe was a break, hopefully for some people, because I think if you had LeBron win a title in, in the spring or in June when they play the NBA championship typically, and then three or four months later, Sue Bird does it, and you go back and you're like, oh, Sue, just like LeBron, 17th year, fourth title. I feel like it's reaching a little bit more. But this yes. time it happened within about a week of each other. And it's like, look at these two legends. They both came into the league at the same time. They've been terrorizing opponents ever since. And they, and they couldn't look more physically different, which I think is a lot yeah. of people's obstacle getting into women's basketball and really women's sports is – you know, LeBron is what a men's basketball player looks like at peak everything, right? Like stats 99, build 99, like that's what a basketball player looks like. And it's fun to see images of him and Sue Bird kind of next to each other to be like, in the WNBA, 
that is a cold-blooded killer. Like, Sue Bird will rip your heart out. <laughs> like, and yeah. I think that's cool. That that's what, like, there's obviously a difference in how the game is played in those two leagues, but they're, you know, they're kind of one another's yin and yang it's, this season. It's this idea that I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of naysayers want to give some sort of idea that the physical stature means one league's better than the other. What I actually see it is it's a celebration of how beautiful the game can be that you can dominate and any shaver size because it's 100%. a little it's 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 the same yeah. idea but it's a little less of a poetic juxtaposition if it's super standing next to steph curry because it's just a little different right. because it's right. not yeah. quite as daunting of a experience to kind of here's here's that difference but i also think you can do that same thing with britney Griner and steve nash <laughs> and that's the idea is it's not like a, why the nba is better no it's that idea of like these different shapes and sizes and these two people in their 17th year, both taking in their fourth titles at the same time is a pretty cool discussion. And this also leads to another idea. Again, we're jumping everywhere here. So I hope you guys are ready for a ride. I think we're going to end up over the off season because we got to come up with a lot of topics. We're probably going to dedicate a whole episode to this because I think it deserves it, but I, I do want to like kick off the dialogue of this. Uh, MNBA media is overly bombarded with LeBron MJ talk. It's ridiculous and it it's it's overdone and it should stop there's no point in it but i don't think we have near enough talk with that type of discussion in the wnba so i'm gonna i'm gonna drop a first take topic because i think it makes sense here there's two players two active players right now that are constantly getting the goat treatment so skip or Stephen a or shannon or whoever you want to be right now <laughs> um does sue having four and dt having three Make Sue the goat. Who is the goat? What a good question that I am going to stall a long time before (laughs) I answer. All-time scoring leader. You know what? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I, I thought... I thought if I continued to say words that the answer would come out. And instead what came out was one of these two will hear this episode and will come at you with everything they've got. Oh, I love, I, I love how confident you are that they would listen. To I, this, but yeah. I would say, even though recency bias weighs heavily on this, four is more than three. Uh, be, and, and by the time she retires, she will, she will finish top of the leaderboard in so many different categories, similar to DT that I think right now I would make the argument that Sue Bird is the GOAT. It's See, and I'm, I'm, I'm stalling at the same conversation, even though I heard <laughs> everything that you said. I'm, I'm doing some comparison numbers. I'm pulling up some things right now, just getting a feel for like... Oh, don't, 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 give, uh, don't give facts a, a platform in this discussion that I just... Yeah, don't let, don't let that get in the way of a good story or whatever <laughs> some, some asshole likes to always tell me. Um, yeah, whenever people try to say that to me, it's like, screw you. Uh, let's see. So here, I just looked at this, and this makes it even more hilarious. So the next thing I think you can turn to is record books, right? And so Super is the all-time leader in assists, and Diana Taurasi is the all-time leader in points. So if I look at the assist numbers, Diana Taurasi is number obviously the all-time leading scorer. Super is in the top 10. She's eighth. All-time assist leader is Bird and now becoming by a mile. DT's fourth all-time in assists. She's also top 10, but top five, top four. 
Um, looking at, I mean, Subert is fourth in steals. She has a defense. She has a defensive ploy there, so that adds to it. So they both dominate the record books. I think the next discussion. I'm trying to go through like all these LeBron MJ talks. Like, what's next? Like, who they play here's, with? Here's I got like, it. I got it. it. It took me four minutes, but I got it. Here's here's the deciding factor for me. Uh, Dana Tarazi was 13 and 0 in in winner go home games until the Sue Bird game. Is that is that correct? I know I know she was undefeated in elimination games until then. So the only person to ever beat Tarazi. You know, or at least the first in a winner, winner take all. Like you're gonna either win the series or lose the series. Was Sue Bird? The there's another one that adds to it. Sue Bird's never lost a finals game. <laughs> yeah, that's she's, that's, she's that's, never that's, lost think, outside of any outside of the determined first round of her teams. She's never lost. Yeah, WNBA Nation listeners, you listen to this show for for our takes and our analysis, and if if you want to grace uh, graciously ignore the stalling it took me to get to that point i think that is the argument if you're if you're talking about this with friends if you've got a phoenix mercury fan in your life if bun is coming at you on twitter you could say there's only one person who's ever not lost a final game and beaten diana Tarazi in that like win or leave town game and it, it wasn't just yeah. sue bird was on that team it was sue bird yeah. who made it happen sue- Sue Bird is Brock Lesnar. She broke the streak. <laughs> like that's so that, that that's, that is still like, to to this day that that is my favorite WNBA game I've ever watched. Was those two? Yeah, that that, that moment, and it, and it was those two. And I think it's that's why I think this discussion with these two makes sense. There's a lot of people right now listening to this, dropping other names. Like, why aren't we talking Cheryl Swoops? Why aren't we talking Cynthia Cooper? Why aren't we talking Tamika Catchings? Because we should be. But these two people are their 16th and 17th respective seasons still doing what they've been doing at a very high level, both coming off of season ending injuries when you could argue like the clock should be over for them after those injuries still coming in and performing at an extremely high level. That's why this is absolutely insane. Like it's preposterous to me that you can do this at that level for that long and they're still doing it. And I think they're both players that like could real, I'm not shocked at the thought of either of them playing into their fifties. (laughs) like who knows to be to be honest this is the sort of great rivalry i mean they have tremendous respect for each other they you know i mean they're best best friends yeah yeah they are not you know they they do not see each other as the villain to their to their hero but they you don't really get this in the nba anymore um I, i think for a lot of the nba's history you got a decade where you have magic bird and you got a decade where you have, you know, Celtics Lakers in the in the sixties and seventies, and you get uh, you get Jordan versus the Pistons, and you you know, I I don't think you get that in the NBA anymore because there's so much player movement. But these are players who've been in the league well over a decade, played each other like they've each won tons of championships. They've each played alongside great players, but they've never played with each other other than Team USA and and like that. And they almost and, did. Yeah, that's the thing. And, uh, and Sue, I, Sue I very think, nearly went to Phoenix. Yeah, I think that is a very rare thing in basketball. And again, if you're a fan of basketball and you watch the NBA, I think that's great. But you don't see that anymore. There's not like a you don't get LeBron versus Jimmy Butler eight straight years in the finals, and they split each one, and it's this huge great rivalry that we talk about. You just don't have that anymore. And I think 
you always have to remember when you're talking about WNBA greatness that we're talking about like history is being made now because this is early in the league's history. So this is year 30, basically. Um, you know, year 30 of the NBA was Magic Bird. Like that's <laughs> that's yeah. the sort of thing you're talking about. So if you think a generation from now, let's talk 15, 20 seasons down the road when the new hotness is in town and they've won two straight titles and, you know, Asia Wilson is just getting to the end of her long storied career, that sort of thing. We're going to probably look back at Tarazi and Bird and hold them in the same esteem. And when this discussion happens, I think it'll come down to the head-to-head matchup and four mm-hmm. versus three. Yeah, four versus three. And then I think, too, it's it, can you have the, – the one thing that adds to it, because this happens a lot in the other discussion that everyone has, is the, the teammate part of this, right? So has DT ever played with a teammate at the level of Lauren Jackson who helped join Subert in winning titles? and is a hall of famer in her own right. And it's that idea of like, does her having that and, and Brianna Stewart, you know, does that add to it? And obviously you're talking about a player who's also played with Duana Bonner and Brittany Griner and, you know, phenomenal teammates in her own right. So that's like a hard discussion as well. This is a classic case where I think the rings do help the argument, but if you're listening to this right now and you're a Phoenix fan and you're going to come at us with DT's the greatest of all time, you're probably also right. <laughs> there's a reason that they're both called the goat and no one ever seems to question it it's not um, a, well and that's that's become a, a more common thing i think in recent years is it's almost like goat is like a legendary status it's it's no longer become like who's who's the number one because that discussion is so played out between mj and lebron and magic or whatever i think it's just become who has reached that status of you you should be odd when you are in their presence and I'll tell you, as someone who's been in both of their presence, I was in awe of both of them and terrified, frankly, of, of <laughs> the yes. interaction. Because you knew yes. when you met them, you're like, this like this person is the greatest. He, he, both of them it had the same feeling. I, I want to put it in this in this light. And again, it's this isn't a play comparison. This is this slide. So when I worked in traditional sports journalism, I was, you know, I had media scrums with Kobe Bryant, right? And and he obviously gave off this legendary aura. I felt the exact same thing in the presence of both Diana Taurasi and definitely Subert, because we actually had a chance to talk to Subert. And you felt that if you didn't know what she did for a living, you knew she was the best at it. That's what she gave off. Yeah. Great, great players, like historically great players, have bleed that out in certain ways that are which is funny because the game we attended that night was probably one of her worst statistical games ever, but it's, it's our fault. It is. Uh, our fault. We did jinx that, but I mean, it was because we, we were supposed to be there for the all time assist record and then it didn't happen. That was, that's our fault. That's on us. Um, but yeah, I, I think that like this discussion adds to it and, it and it comes off of these two having, especially in the postseason, having some amazing moments. I imagine we're going to delineate that discussion a little bit further because there's a lot more to it. I have a bunch of questions. We'll see what we can get through. And if you have any other questions about the Webble experience, let's hit it. So in fact, before I get into anything, do you like it just, I feel like we're just doing a natural shooting yeah, Q and A. Do you have any other Webble related questions you want to answer? Only, only one. And it's just related on our, our discussion just now. Do you ever think about when you see Sue Bird and like Megan Rapinoe on like the global, like the worldwide stage, like, they're these iconic figures in the world right now. Do you ever think to yourself, 
we've uh we've given her a bouquet of flowers <laughs> it is random but like that's almost the random. coolest thing about me at this point is like hey i was when when we went up to seattle we gave sue bird a, a bouquet of flowers <laughs> yeah it, like we in she, a nice car she probably doesn't remember nor care congratulating her on a record and then that <laughs> happened i was wondering if she did that just despite us being like those guys were weird uh and i get it and i get it um i totally get it um i do have a couple quick like questions of this ill because there were a lot of thoughts about this so this isn't so much wobble discussion but i I do think it's interesting because the WNBA this year was a part of one of the strangest months of sports of all time we will have crowned four major champion uh league champions in american sports between the WNBA, the NHL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball, we'll be doing that pretty soon. So we've got to watch a lot of championship moments in a very short amount of time, which has been pretty cool, which is why I think it backs up what I'm about to say, which is the WNBA might have one of, I would say, the two best championship trophies in sports. It's very good. The Stanley Cup probably takes that, it for okay. me. I was going to probably... I didn't know how how strongly you felt about it being number one or number two. I I gotta be honest. I think the Stanley Cup Cup is a clear number one. Like yeah, I'm not gonna call that out. But my immediate number. My one, my thing about, and I think you feel the same about me. The WNBA championship is not only beautiful, it's functional. They made it to be (laughs) hoistable, and I respect that so much because the only reason the Larry O'Brien Trophy works is because. NBA players have hands like condors right <laughs> right and so they can actually like grip and palm like i could not lift first of all i probably couldn't physically lift a layer you know they're probably heavy but uh the you know the wba i like that they made it this hollow like three pillared piece that yeah. you can lift it takes nothing away from the look of it at all yeah i think uh i think it barely edges out the lombardi uh, because I think it's just a better version of the Lombardi Trophy. They're actually quite similar in in size yeah. and, and build. Um, and I I think the Lombardi is a very classy, good looking trophy. But the problem is it's such a solid uh, it's such a solid mirror like laden trophy. It's like yeah. a silver trophy that by the time they hand it to like two different players on national TV, you're just concerned about all the fingerprints. You're like that is the worst. Like they're all kissing it, and you're like stop like <laughs> stop doing it and the it w- pandemic. One, you, you don't get that because they're they're able to like firmly grasp it, and pass it. You just don't get i that. love that you're using that as a reason that it's lower down the list when we both agreed number one was a it's thing the many cup. people drink out of it's still the stanley cup <laughs> it's still the stanley cup no the stanley i, I love the stanley yeah that's a hard one yeah. to beat i, I, think, I legitimately I think, believe that uh, which yeah on display i think baseball has a very elegant trophy it's not it's it, it, like you just you don't think about it when you think of the world series yeah. it, it's just not as closely tied to the image I, of the world series to me i i appreciate you being kind i freaking hate it i i, I hate i hate I the world series trophy. it's not a, even it's not even close to what it should be yeah. I, I you know but it's well it's because baseball has this problem where they have they have awards for every position that are in a lot of ways more recognizable than the world series trophy itself because you just know like world series champion he has a ring but he's also got three gold gloves, like. Or yeah, he's got I, I, we all know what a Cy Young looks like. Yeah, uh, it's it's like in college. Like the only college trophy that's at all recognizable is the Heisman Trophy. Every other college trophy has changed like five times. 
Yeah. And they all look terrible. I mean, all I know what terrible. I know what the Blitznikov looks like because I played NCAA football for a lot of my youth, but that's just that's just because I'm a nerd. But like, <laughs> how many versions of the NCAA tournament? To, you know, like it's not it's not very recognizable. Yeah. I think in terms of major American sports, the Major League Baseball is my least favorite looking trophy. I'd say if you if you go international, the World Cup trophy adds to that top level discussion because it's a cool. World, yeah, World Cup's pretty. It's cool. Got years of history behind it. No one's allowed to cheat and throw in an Olympic medal. You can't do that here. That's yeah, cheating. Those, those Plus, though, every Olympics I do love overjudging the look of medals, but that to say, this actually adds to this this thought that I had, which is, to my knowledge, someone can correct me. I don't believe the WNBA championship title and the MVP awards are named after anyone. The finals MVP. Can you recall that at all? The MNBA just Bill Russell is now the name of that award. Um, so my thought process is maybe uh, not so much with WNBA trophy because maybe it's it's usually not named after a player. I think like Larry, like maybe it's the Val Ackerman award because that's the original I, commissioner. I think you are correct. I, I can't find. I, I hope I'm not misleading our listeners. So, but I can't find a name for the WNBA final. So trophy. it's tough to kind of determine what you would name in terms of the championship trophy because it's usually named after like an executive or an owner. It's like Val Ackerman sort of makes sense as like the original commissioner. Now, I think a good question on this note, though, is the WNBA finals MVP. If you were to finally give that a name, because we now have that for the NBA MVP, the Bill Russell Award, who do you think should be on that award? We just had goat talk, but now it's trophy talk. If you could pick one, because I've got mine, but I'm curious what you've got. Uh... I would like it to, I think I would like it to pay homage somehow to those Houston Comets championships. Um, Nobody has more than four right now. Minnesota's got four, but Houston won the first four and is still tied for the lead with Minnesota. Seattle just got four as well. Yeah, Seattle now has four. So probably Cooper or Swoops or Thompson, but how, I mean, who, I mean, do you call it the big three Houston Comets I, trophy? <laughs> like, I'll make it. I'll, I'll make it easier. It's the it's the Cynthia Cooper Award. She was the first star of the league in terms of coming in as an MVP. She was the first Finals MVP. She put the gravitas of that on the map because she was the top player when Cheryl Swoops was injured and recovering. I think she was the one to really kick that off. And that's in all respect to, Sh- to Cheryl Swoops. Cheryl Swoops, I believe, has three MVPs, three defensive players of the year. You could name the league MVP after Swoops if you want to. Why not? Make it all yeah. Comets-themed. Uh, but I think the finals MVP to me, Cynthia Cooper was not only known for that, but she was known for playing big on that stage. It was something are, she was definitely known are for. Are you okay with a finals trophy, an MVP trophy, and a sportsmanship award all named after members of that team? Hell yeah. I think I am too. Hell yeah. <laughs> I think I am I, too. I mean, for Pete, uh, what reason would anyone have to say that that's not warranted at this point? <laughs> I, 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 I honestly, mean, like, if someone wants to make that claim, fine, but come at me with... Particularly... Hey, maybe, you need, maybe cause the MVP, the league MVP award could go a lot of ways, right? Because you could go yeah. Lisa Leslie. You could go one of the current active goods. I think you Maya could, Moore like, even probably needs to be... It's, it's more recent, 100%. but... Uh, the the thing is, I think if if the Comets were a current team, it would be tougher to to get me to to be on board with that because 
you don't want to make the league about just this one team and push them forward yeah. and others back. If, but because the Comets are not active, and, and hopefully they are someday, but right now, because they are not active, I feel like it's not weird to have a lot of mm-hmm. awards named after those players who really – league into we've talked about what a special thing it is at least at the moment knowing that the main artifactual like memory of the comets that still lives and breathes today is the kim parat sportsmanship award Mm -hmm. and the fact that you know these comets players don't have a place to hang their banners don't have a place to hang retired jerseys you know like that doesn't exist anymore that's freaking sad and that sucks. So if we never ever see another team come back to Houston, if we don't see the return of the Houston Comets, another good way to pay homage to it is to say, well, Cynthia Cooper was the first superstar champ, yeah. you know, to, to be the best player and the superstar of a team, you know, all due respect to Cheryl Swoops, who was recovering from an injury at the time uh, or recovering from a uh, you know, uh, maternity at the time. But it was, it's that idea of, I think it makes a lot of sense. It really got that on the map. And yeah, if there's one team that you say, go ahead and Nate, give every player the name of an award, sit here and tell me it should go to the Houston Comets, right? Let's figure out when we can give the Jeanette Arcane, you know, like uh, most improved, most improved. She went from scoring single digits to being an all-star. So that one actually makes a lot of sense. Um, See, you can easily, you can easily make all this happen. That does work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, that's that's my new game is giving the comets each an award. I, I just I think that makes a lot of sense. Anyway, um I there's a lot of different other directions we can take. I mean, that was the other main thing I wanted to hit was I, was, I have one for yeah, you. But this is this is a little bit please. of a departure, but kind of this is very much in line with our Patreon type material as well as our, our former podcast that we used to, to run it. So I feel like this is an appropriate discussion. Your favorite sports trophies that aren't trophies. I like that you're coming back to trophy talk really quick. Cause, cause I know, but, you know what I mean? There are a lot of sports awards that are not trophies that are still great. And I, I want to hear some of, some but it's of, uh, something that stands back. out. It's tough. Cause I'm trying to think in terms of, of women's sports specifically given the narrative, of what we're doing. So like, obviously there's a lot of good, like individual sport pieces that are pretty good. Like Wimbledon has a great look. That, that um, was the first yeah. one that came to mind was the dish, right? Yeah. The, the That's cool. If I had to give one, and I, and I don't necessarily love this because because we're here to talk women's basketball, and this is specifically tied to an organization that has not always been kind to of women's sports, and that's unfortunate. But the green jacket is pretty awesome. Oh yeah, uh, Masters. It just sucks yeah. that Augusta National has been misogynistic for a long time, but the green jacket is a pretty cool tradition for winning the Masters. Yeah, that's a really good. One. I I just I like uh, you know I like seeing people hoist trophy. I, I love my favorite image in sports is hockey players with both, you know, both arms above their head. And that's what makes the Stanley cup the tops is is the raise. But I I also like when it's, you're playing for a heavyweight belt, you're playing for the the Venus rose water dish. You're playing for the green jacket. I think that stuff's cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, in that case, it's clearly the bull from British bake off. Yes. That's, that's the winner. (laughs) (laughs) If we're going to pick one. It's like, I mean, the claret jug is great. Um, a, a good championship belt is really good. I, um, you know, that added to Ronda Rousey's lift is, is her having that title belt just, you know, added so much gravitas to things. I, 
I know very little about NASCAR. I'm trying to slowly get more into it because I feel like there's a lot more to it than I used to think. And I know you, you've been in somewhat into it for a little while. Is, is the milk thing the trophy or is that just a thing that they do? Yeah, it's just kind of a thing. Like if you win the if you win the bad. indie and then you chug it down, it's it's kind of cool. I was but hoping that they literally just gave them out of a, out of the fridge like a gallon thing of here's some milk. I think the idea is usually like a tradition with racing is always like you like if you win, people spray it with champagne or beer or like you know it's whatever's themed at the time, and it's always just kind of a tradition with indie that it's here's milk. Uh, so it's just like it's it's kind of a unique thing, just stands out in the moment. I do say that I love, you know, I'm not really into football anymore, but I do love anytime there's a college bowl that has a trophy in which incorporates the name of the bowl. I love that the orange bowl has a bowl that they fill with oranges. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like stuff like that is always fun to me. We, we watched way too many Idaho potato bowl games because of where we went to college, but it was cool that someone had a trophy that had potatoes in it. That was fun. Um, I'm probably missing one like big time, but like that's, that's, I, I, those were the ones I was thinking. I hope we're not missing any major ones, but the, that's what I was thinking was Wimbledon. Um, definitely, definitely green jacket. Uh, I, yeah, I, I hope we're not leaving any by the wayside. Definitely a lot of bowl. Yeah. A lot of bowls. Are out so there, I think this is a good transition into, I think what probably makes sense is the last topic for, for this episode, at the very least, we had a really good retrospective and talking about the effectiveness of the level Obviously, safety has been a huge thing. Zero positive tests is amazing. Um, phenomenal strides and efforts in supporting the social justice cause, in supporting the need for people to register to vote. And obviously, that's more important now than it's ever been, given what's going to be happening over the next few weeks. Um, great basketball, fun moments, people having adorable kids. There's a lot that we could dive into. I want to talk about moving forward. To my knowledge right now, there isn't a finite plan. And again, if I'm wrong, someone correct me at WMA Nation Pod on Twitter. Um, there isn't a finite plan for what to expect for the WMA season as far as things are considered. There is a potential that they could have a clean break and start things when they normally start them. I think you and I would you know, kind of disagree with that plan in a way. What do you foresee in your mind is the right plan moving forward for the WNBA in terms of what they should structure for a season, what stuff maybe they learned from the level that they should incorporate into things. When should we incorporate fans? Like what's your vision? You know, if you're Kathy Engelbert, what's your vision for what the next well uh, move for the WNBA is? There's uh, there's a little bit of a cheat sheet here and I, it, it's actually, it raises more questions than it answers but we know a few things that Kathy Engelbert is planning on for next year. And it is wild. Uh, and, and so it makes me wonder if they're yeah. going to Okay. I know you're referencing now. Yeah. A little bit because so first of all, to address fans in the stands and stuff like that, the, the answer is just when it's safe. Um, I, I don't think the WNBA is gonna want to do another bubble, but I don't see this league that is so socially conscious and so forward thinking and so on top of things, frankly, um, wanting to revert back to like, well, we'll have, you know, 50% of the stadium or 25% of the stadium open to fans and hopefully nobody gets it because every sport that's done that has had issues. And every sport that's followed the bubble plan to the letter has gotten through a season and successfully crowned a champion. So if they must bubble, I think they will bubble. 
But I think by next summer, this is optimistic of me, but I think we'll probably see vaccines and, and things happen in, in this country, especially where I, I imagine there will be fans in, in stand sixties. If I have to put money on it, I would, I would bet on live attendance. I would also bet on a longer season, not necessarily in number of regular season games, but remember there was supposed to be 36 games this year, 34, yeah. 36, 34, um, which is a good amount. I feel like this year's regular season of 22 games uh, was a lot of games, maybe just because we were watching them every night because there were three games a night. Um, but it, it felt like a lot. And then I remembered like we're, we're missing out on 30% of the season. Um, and so I'm excited yeah. for, for all those games. But on top of that, uh, Kathy Engelbert has said that next year, on top of being an Olympic year, um, because they're, they're going to try to move the Olympics to next year instead of skipping them entirely. Well, in Tokyo it, said it's happening no matter what. Yeah. So we'll yeah, see, which, but yeah, yeah, we'll see, but I, I think they'll probably pull it off. What will happen in the WNBA is they will be doing an all-star game, which typically they do not in Olympic years. And they will be doing a commissioner's cup, which we do not have any more info information on right now. That which, tells me- which I was so against <laughs> un- until the NWSL did the challenge cup. And now I really yeah. intrigued. Yeah. I, I was really against it when, when Adam Silver floated the idea for the NBA and because it just doesn't, it just doesn't feel like it. Now matters. with the challenge cup, I'm like, oh, you know what? It could work. If you, if you brand it and you find an incentive that really yeah. ties to the rest That's of the season, the thing. there's You're already, you're already, remember, you're already drawing a lot of players away from their overseas teams to play in the WNBA. Um, it, it, because, you know, we're here in America, we, we look at this league and we're like, this is the main league, but they're making a lot of money overseas. Uh, and they, they want to be able to play in those leagues. And for, for, I think, some players, I think WNBA is kind of the, the second-tier option in a lot of ways. And I think Kathy Engelbert is trying to make it the number one by adding – challenges and incentives and ways to i guess gain accolades in this league they want to do the all-star game they want people to be named all-stars and get recognition for it they want to do the commissioner's cup and i think i'm not totally sure on this but i think it it will be an onward and upward year even with probably a weird college season i think they will hold the draft when they typically hold the draft because I think the college basketball season is a go for basically November to March, which it, it typically yeah. runs. Um, so if, if they're able to successfully have a, a new crop of people come in in a draft on time and they're able to have a preseason and all of those things happen, I'll tell you what, the All-Star game was such a blast. When it was in Vegas and we were able to go, we learned a lot about different players. We saw new personalities different superstars emerged that season that like I'll, I'll just never forget I'll never forget the diamond shield the uh, the uh, oh I'm spacing now um, Indiana fever she's the all-star MVP oh Eric Wheeler Erica Wheeler yes yeah. she defined that week and so many stars were there in that game and I I think the league benefits from having that and I I think sorry I'm going on way too much about this question that you asked, but I, I think they see a rise in ratings and a rise in coverage. And they're saying, we're not backing down and we're not, you know, <laughs> we're not going to go super conservative with next season to just try and preserve what we have. We're going onward and upward with, with these additional fans and this added interest in the league and all of these marketable players. I think it's going to be the biggest year they've ever had. 
Yeah, I I think there it opens up so many different options, and I actually think the hangups for next year could actually turn into a transition period that could really help the WNBA long term. You know, one thing about it is they could technically make a pretty clean break with opening up the season when they normally do. But I think what holds that at risk is we've obviously seen the value that the WNBA can have in playing side by side with the, the NBA. And, and I think the Olympics help with this. So here's what I envision. There's a tight window here. Obviously all this gets derailed by overseas basketball because a lot of players are going to need that. So maybe I'm wrong here, but maybe you figure out some sort of on loan plan where you can play while they're overseas for a while, while you transition into this cadence, but have season next year. I think it can even be condensed if it needs to basically have it end by Olympic time. If you know, Mm -hmm. as much as you can get it to, and then have a fairly quick turnaround to have the WNBA season, the 2022 season basically kick off right around the time the NBA season does for the following year, which would be a few months after the 2021 Olympics. And from then on, that's your transition period to having a uh, going into that cadence. I think it still allows you to time the draft around the same time every year. You can make that happen. It complicates the overseas thing a little bit, but we'll, you know, that's something I think they can strategize and work around. But I do think the overseas structure actually helps a little bit if you're running on that same schedule, because you have a little bit longer layoff from the draft. You know, if you do the draft at the same time, from the start of the season, or you can do the draft later, but allow college players who declare for the draft to play overseas and get an opportunity to go and prove themselves in a scouting sense further. If they choose to do, you know, at their own risk, because if they get injured, they get injured, but allows them a chance to go and play somewhere else. Or maybe at least over the next couple of years, the WNBA actually pays players to not have to go overseas. You know, that would be great. But until that's a potential possibility, the commissioner's cup adds to this as well. We've talked for a long time about the idea of some sort of season kickoff event at a neutral zone that allows for similar to the all-star weekend. It allows for an event, a place people can go. I think the commissioner's cup can be a great season kickoff event. Like that's how you start the year. I think it could also almost be if from season to season, if there's a larger gap, because the WNBA season is a bit shorter than the NBA season, the commissioner's cup could almost be like a late, late off season event that's still official, but it may tie some incentives for a team for the regular season in some format or another, but can still be a pretty cool event and can tie to a lot of things. That's when you can do women's basketball hall of fame inductions. That's when you can do, you know, there's lots of different ways that you can make it work. So that if you worry about like this gap in scheduling, I think there's a lot of ways to, to transition it. The problem is I don't think the WNBA can cut and dry, say, well, this is our schedule. I think they need a year to transition into it. And the Olympics, I think actually kind of really helps that cause to say, mm-hmm. well, we're going to transition from here to here. But I do feel like for, they need to adopt some similar ideal to what I think international soccer does, which right now is like, there's a period right now where, NWSO players are kind of on loan. A lot of them are playing in the Women's Super League, which is the Women's English Premier League for various teams, Uh, which, by the way, um, I don't know if you heard this, Tobin Heath and Kristen Press just signed with Man United and are the top-selling Man United jerseys currently (laughs) of of men's, women's, everything. 
you know, well, I know you're a big Kristen Press fan, and you know I'm like number one Tobin Heath fan. I, I think when I'm not as a Man U fan, so that makes it rough. But yeah, because I'm a exactly. Man like neither fan, of us are really but... into that. But. <laughs> um, but it, oh, it's it's pretty cool. But that's to say, like, I think they might have something there where you could potentially uh, do an on loan structure. And by the way, what that allows you to do is say you have certain players that opt to play overseas around this. You know, if it's around the same time and there's an on loan structure, a lot of the talent that otherwise wouldn't get a chance to make an WNBA roster now have an opportunity to fill a WNBA roster. Cause we turn a lot of talent at the door during the season. Yeah, that's true. But if there's an overlap, very similar to like, you know, Emma Misimanoff and misses 30 days, but let's say there's an overlap or, you know, every few years you might miss a certain player because they're going to opt to play somewhere overseas for a year, all-star or not. All of a sudden you have that next that next woman up mentality where, where someone can fill that roster spot. The, the, the league isn't short on talent. <laughs> it absolutely can fill those moves. And then I think there's ways to make it. So it's still a competitive structure. I think that the Wubble kind of proved that even though you're going to have a good amount of all-star level talent, it's still competitive. It's still exciting. It still works. Um, there's a lot of stuff I think they can do to make it creative. We'll have to see, but uh that's the thing and I, I think we'll start to see that news pop up more and more over the next several mm-hmm. months so yeah i'm excited to, i'm excited to have a longer runway before next season because remember we were talking we had uh interviews with coaches um with with, with gms for like in dallas and and we were asking them like what what are you doing to prepare for the season you just had a great draft and they're basically like we don't know we haven't been all in the same room yet like we don't know if we're even going to make this happen. Like, which goes yeah. back to your first question of this podcast, which is like the season gets an A when coaches and players are basically like, gosh, I hope we get to play this year and successful season ended up coming out of it. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, you know, Sabrina Ionescu first in the draft, it's this exciting draft. She's going to be a star. She's going to New York and she hasn't met Walt Hopkins. <laughs> like hasn't physically met him and it, it was an interesting case of like how long did they know each other like in the flesh before she played a game for his team and it, you know it's it, it the dynamic of it was so insane and it's so nuts to consider how uncertain everything was so now that it's done and dusted i'll be very frank you guys remember when i came to you at the beginning of the season said i don't know if i'm comfortable covering this I don't know if we should be there right now. It was it was very weird. This right now. It was a very weird feeling, like peeking out the door, like that, uh, like that Ryan Hamilton special. Like, is this is it okay? Like, yeah, like, is it good? Yeah, just, it just felt wrong work, yeah. to to want the athletes to play when there is so much confusion. But now knowing that the bubble ended up being successful and safe, I mean, I do. I remember that interview with Greg Bibb in Dallas where they had like six draft picks in the first round and a half. And he was desperately trying to put deep. He was very frank in his interview about like last year, this team was not good. Like <laughs> this year we are going to be good. And they were, they were wheeling and dealing. And then all of a sudden the season was like in question, like it was hanging by a thread. It was, you know, <laughs> all of a sudden all these moves might've not. And, and at that point we still didn't even know what next college season might look like. You know, it's it's starting to crystallize now that they'll probably play, but because there's no way to bubble up college players, there'll be a lot of teams, good teams, that their seasons get derailed this year. 
and they probably won't play a full schedule. So and that that is that's that's get. heartbreaking, especially for seniors who yeah are looking to get to the next level. And yeah, it's it's crazy to think that we found so many certainties where there were uncertainties, but I don't think we're any more certain than we were six months ago because there's just so many more questions. The the only thing I know now is they are more prepared to hold the college tournaments. Um, like if if COVID rips through conferences or teams this year, they'll still be able to invite a certain number of teams to a bubble somewhere, uh, maybe in like the middle of Vegas or not, you know, not Vegas, Vegas, but like the middle of desert outside of Vegas <laughs> and actually do like, like <laughs> just set something up like race wars and the fast and the furious movies where it's like, Hey, you're literally the only people for like 200 miles and we're going to play basketball and we're going to crown a champion and then you can all go home. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think there's a lot, there's a lot that, that really makes, I mean, the whole dynamic of it is, is really interesting to me, but I think well, what, yeah. They'll have Sorry. plan A through, through F this year yeah. written up. Whereas when it happened in mid, you know, early to mid March of this last year, it was like, look, we don't know what's going to happen. We're calling it all off. It's all, we're not doing it. Like, <laughs> I think I think one thing about it is I the one thing I think that feels certain is that basketball will happen mm. because I think we're able to like you said the contingency plans can now be put in place. There's an idea of should we get this setback, we could do this instead. I don't know when a plan will be solidified to where they feel comfortable saying this is what's happening by hook yeah. or by crook, and that's where the conversation gets really interesting because. Like you said, Kathy Engelbert is coming in very bullish, you know, wants to, uh, you know, really add these dynamics. And that's fantastic. You know, with the commissioner's cup, with the all-star game, all of that good fun. Is there a point where she's willing to say, maybe we pull back on one of these because we have to maintain regular basketball enough as it is to add these new dynamics may not be smart right now. That's where I'm really interested to see, because I love the idea of adding these dynamics it's just it, you know it's hard to see what's going to be fruitful and what's not yeah. and that's that's from, a lot of the discussion over the next several months is gonna be interesting from a purely marketing perspective uh which i i won't go all the way into but a, a lot of the stuff that i've been doing lately for my job has been around writing um about how audiences have changed in this past year how like behavior and buying behavior online has changed and something like 70 percent of people in this country have changed brand preferences or plan on like permanently changing preferences over the course of like the pandemic. And I, I wonder if Kathy Engelbert, in fact, I expect that Kathy Engelbert is tuned into that and knows like that doesn't just apply to like tagged clothing. That's, you know, people right now are willing to change, you know, the, the media that they consume, the, the leagues that they're into people are fading in and out of interest with different sports and, and, prioritizing different things and I think they've really capitalized on having a great product and I I wonder uh I've seen a lot of criticism actually of the NBA as as much as we both enjoy the NBA um it's been (laughs) it's been leveled a lot of criticism about being more about the players and the culture than about the sport and I think there is a hole that could be filled by a successful 2021 WNBA season for people who are hungry for coverage and and like really good basketball that isn't clouded by, you know, I, 
I love the drama of the NBA season, not as much as anyone. I, I get sick of it pretty fast, but like I, I do enjoy it. But it's it's nice to watch basketball that isn't a soap opera. And mm-hmm. there is there is a place in a lot of people's changing attitudes about a lot of different fundamental things right now that I think the league could see, as you said, leaps and bounds if if they can they can pull it off in the nobody wants to capitalize on a pandemic that's not what anyone wants to do it's bad for everyone but um it could be a catalyst to to greater things if if kathy plays her cards right i think that's very exciting yeah i think a lot of it is just to say the comfort of there's just you know we've been blessed with the game of basketball for so long a sport that started with a peach basket that didn't even have, you know, uh, that, that had bottomed out the first basketball that was ever scored. James Naismith had to get on a ladder and get the ball. And it went from that to where we are now. And it's incredible to think there's so much more we can still do with the game. And as someone who's grown up on this sport and has fallen in love with it, and I feel like I can say it's saved my life in a lot of ways, even just as a spectator. Uh, that's what's that's what's been really enjoyable from all levels, but especially with the WNBA where I've seen them make strides and it goes beyond the game, obviously. Everything that that these players have accomplished, it, it's been phenomenal. I want to end on one final thing, and I, I, I realize we never discussed this, so this might be a harder one to figure out, but <laughs> I think it's a good one to end with just because we have it's just been so much like if you made a montage of everything that happened in the wobble i think you'd be a little spellbound of everything so you're probably there's going to be stuff to forget but but logan i'm going to be straightforward you get to pick one what is your favorite moment from the wobble start to finish it's so hard to pick one so i'm going to tell you the first thing that came to mind because I feel like that's the only like that's the only way to really decide is what came to mind right when you asked that question, and it was Jewel Lloyd burying a corner buzzer beater um, for for the win late in the season. Um, that was I I like watching Jewel Lloyd play. I liked watching the Seattle team play, and it was just special to me because we we don't get when you watch professional sports you don't get a lot of like like personal interaction with, with your heroes. And if you do, you're kind of like are scared that they might let you down. Jewel Lloyd is legitimately one of the best people in all of sports. <laughs> um, and, and watching her get that moment. And, and I'm kind of, I'm going to cheat here because I'm going to tie it to the end of the year post game presser that she gave. I was going to call I don't want to, I don't want to steal any of your thunder if that's your moment. But I, I think from that, three to the end of the year when she talked about how much the championship meant to her that those kind of combined from what I'll think about when I think about this season I I'm glad you brought that up because I was torn between one and and that one was was Jewel's speech because I think it it encapsulated so much more than the storm season but just really pulled together so much of what this experience was I mean everything from the basketball world still figuring out life after losing Gigi and Kobe Bryant and the fight for social and, and racial justice. Yeah. Uh, the current election, 
Uh, you know, there's so much right now that that ties to that. That goes even beyond basketball. And I think Jewel encapsulated that. I would say it's probably my it's my favorite championship speech of any league right now. I just hit a lever that shot my chair all the way down. In case you wonder why my voice jerked. That was weird. Um, I thought you were having did, a like, heart attack. Like Rob Polinka on Sunday night was was a really touching one. If you haven't watched that one, that was a really touching speech. I would say Jules really was that much. It was it was a really special moment. So I'm glad you called that out because that was what I was torn between. It might be cheap because I'm also calling it a buzzer beater, but friggin' Shea Petty was incredible. Um, that was yeah, just honestly, that was my loudest reaction of every WMA game I watched. I loved it. I loved that moment. It was so cool. Her story, the doing it when you're sharing the court with Skylar Diggins, Smith and Diana Taurasi, like two players that you would bet good money on taking and making that shot. Yeah. Trusting Shea, Shea freaking Petty. It was your classic uh, long pass to game winner, which became a weird trend during that couple of weeks after oh, the Ananobi shot. Trend. Yeah. yeah. There were like four or five of them all of a sudden that was like, I'm going to lob this pass for a buzzer beater three and Shays was amazing because again, it was so much more than the shot. It was the fake to settle to the time aware, the clock awareness, drilling that shot, pure confidence, cool as a cucumber in the celebration. Everything about it was, was fantastic. I love that moment. And it was so much to me of how much just like what an experience that was and how cool it was to watch a lot of these teams and squads to come together and it was fun to see some of those players step out because a lot of there's a lot of players who may not have these types of experiences if this doesn't go down the way that it does because we had a lot of star players sit out for yeah. various reasons and that lets players like Shea Petty suddenly make themselves available to join a roster and make moments happen and it was really cool that we got to have that moment and it was it was amazing it's, it's probably to be honest in a, in a playoffs full of cool moments probably easily my favorite playoff moment of, well i just said it was my favorite moment of the whole level so it has to be that by default <laughs> uh but i i love that shot that was really yep. really cool. that was great that was great i i as well as you would love to hear WNBA nation's favorite moment from the season uh please either interview of the pod or in a tweet yes Come at WNBA Nation Pod and tell us what your favorite moment of the season was. If you've got the, the GIF or the video to link it, we definitely want to experience it again with you. Um, that would be a very fun thread to have ongoing on on Twitter. Absolutely, that is. I'm with that on the button. So, at WNBA Nation Pod on Twitter, check us out over at Facebook. If you want to review the pod, give us a five star review. If you want to include what your favorite Webble moment was, because it was uh there, there's so much and i don't think we could even hit all of it if we had another spare hour to dive into different memories that's that's how crazy this entire year was i thought of like 12 while we were talking just now and i'm <laughs> forcing myself not to talk about any of them because we need to put a wrap on the sucker um but crazy just what a what a ride this entire thing has been uh any any parting words as we call this one off uh, I'm excited to see where where the league goes from here. I mean, we'll we'll probably look back on this season in a lot of different ways in upcoming episodes, and certainly don't go anywhere, listeners. If you're if you're thinking we're going to take a long hiatus, don't worry, we're going to continue to find off season coverage for you. 
um, things to talk about, interviews to do, maybe some W history, um, definitely some W history. I'm, I'm saying that because it's mostly up to, to Steve because he does all the work. Um, but <laughs> we're going to have tons of stuff coming your way. But um, overall, just such a fun season, such a good, such a good fight, such a good I, – I appreciated the teams that went in really with – nothing to lose and also nothing to gain this season teams like your Connecticut sun missing a lot of players, your defending champion mystics, missing so many of their players, your like your brand new Dallas wings, you know, New York without Sabrina, all of those teams still took the season seriously. They brought it every other night because they were playing every other night. Yeah. You know, they, they kept to the rules. They didn't burst out of the bubble. They didn't jeopardize anyone's health. Uh, and they they treated it like a real season and not like, oh, we don't have a chance this year. All of our starters are out. We're just trying to get through it and get a paycheck. I never got that vibe from any team this year. And and it paid off. Uh, and I, I loved seeing Kurt Miller and his Connecticut Sun team make their annual run. Damn it, uh, the shirts. The freaking <laughs> shirts could have been a moment. Ah, gosh I, dang yeah, it. I, I, loved, I loved so many different storylines of the season that we haven't even touched on today um and we will we will try to work them in in upcoming episodes to make sure that we uh we give this season its due um i'll try to say this that'll be an emotional because i think like everything's still emotional it's october of the year but that's how the world is right now i walked into this fall late summer whatever when things kicked off the whirlwind that was the first half of 2020 I felt like my care and concern for sports was depleting fast. It didn't feel important to me. I couldn't find joy in it. I had those constant texts with you of like, why can't I feel anything? (laughs) Like I can't get myself to care. And it, it hurt because I think I was still reeling with losing someone who is a hero to me and someone who is a big beacon of hope for women's basketball it was tough watching what was happening in the world uh, and, you know, everything that these players have been fighting for all year long and how that was getting mitigated, um, dealing with the pandemic and this bubble experience. And I can credit both basketball leagues because, you know, I've watched a lot of basketball because it was available. Um. I went from being so disenfranchised with the world of sports to being, I I walked out of last week and especially last Tuesday, you know, the game three as in love with basketball as I've been in years. And I mean that more than again, just the game because how many times leading into this year and leading into this well experience was the shut up and dribble thing, a thing. And I want to say to so many players, thank you so much for dribbling being one of the least important things to you. Thank you for making so many things outside of dribbling matter because you made basketball so much more important than it's ever been. And that's, it's such an amazing impact that players, coaches, everyone has had that I, I don't think we will know the impact of what this season has meant for several years. I think it's going to be a long time until we truly grasp 
just how far spread this is going to be, not just for the sport, but society in general. I think it's going to have a ripple effect that's going to mean a lot. And it was cool to see that in real time. It was a bit exhausting. A part of me was a little happy when the season ended when it ended because we watched three games a day for for two full months. Um, but it was so much fun to watch. It was it was a cool thing on a basketball spectrum. But um, I'm personally grateful that uh, it gave me the little bit of a boost that I desperately needed. And it's a shame because there's so many people that they need such bigger boosts given what this year's done for their life. And I'm lucky in that aspect, but that's what this year's been. It's, it's, it's been really cool in that aspect. And on top of that, to be honest, we also just watched a lot of dope basketball. And sometimes when you've got nothing else to stand, to hang your hat on, it's really nice to have some dope basketball. It, it does help. And that is my life lesson for the day. Dope basketball. That's very good. good. Dope. That's part. That's our new, that's our new store envy shirt coming up. We'll, um, because it does rule. Um, I think that's everything. Um, listen, the Lakers have a caricature cartoon championship shirt. And the Storms sort of have one on Breaking Tea, but we need an official one with the full roster. Yeah, we need a better one. That's how I want it to end the year. Uh, we need something more than that. That was my last really big take is is uh, get that going. Um, and I think that's really everything we have for the show. I think you've said your, you've said your piece. They know where to find us. I don't want this to end because this kind of feels like this is officially the end of the season. It, it, it feels weird to wrap a ball on this knowing we're probably going to be right back here in a week or two doing another episode, but knowing that it's, it's all going to be forward thinking, you know, this feels like a season wrap on like, like a TV show and like, yeah, the season yeah, it does. Next week it does. New narratives for, and stuff. And where the cameras are, this is the credits right now. You can't see it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm motioning the credits. This is the credits yeah. of the podcast. Yeah, and you're like cutting to the next thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And suddenly, <laughs> you're gonna get on Twitter and complain about like, oh, the season finale wasn't that great. Um, whatever. <laughs> what? Whatever. It'd be better the Game of Thrones finale, that's for sure. Uh, what isn't at this point? So, well, Logan, thank you so much. Uh, for I guess for the last several months, I I know especially during my hiatus, you and Kyle picked up so much of the slack. It's been it's been fun. Uh, just this whole experience, but um. I guess until then, thanks again for listening to us all year. Stick around with us. We have so much more exciting content coming your way during the off season. If you think we're slowing down, we are just getting started. You're going to want to be a part of this for sure. But until all of then, wear a mask, register to vote, actually vote. And until we talk to you again, I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Logan Jones. And we got you next time.